Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. So glad you found a moment to listen to us today as we have a panel of educators talking about changing assessment practice in education. One of the best one-liners from this episode, assessment is how we learn to listen to our students. Such a powerful statement, and I'm excited for you to hear more. But before we get to the conversation, a quick thank you to all of you who engaged in our lunchtime learning series last week or caught me live for our free webinar. If you missed the webinar, What Should You Do in 2022?, You can view it by going to shiftingschools.com and under resource menu, choose webinars. You'll see this latest webinar along with all our past free webinars over the years. Whether you are looking for something on assessment and feedback or SEL or STEM, we have free webinars with educational leaders there for you to watch and learn from. If you did miss our lunchtime learning series last week, no worries. We recorded them and you can purchase access to the recordings and handout materials on our website as well. Every year around this time, I get asked by listeners how they can help sponsor this podcast. If you've enjoyed some of our now 189 episodes here at Shifting Our Schools and would like to help sponsor the podcast, all you need to do is take a moment to leave us a review on either Apple Podcast or Podchaser. I encourage you to do this for any and all podcasts that you love listening to. It's the greatest gift a listener can give a podcast What you are giving us, of course, is your time, your time to fill out a review of our work. Also know that your review helps us get noticed by others as well. That's the way Apple and other podcast directories decide who gets promoted, by the reviews left by listeners. So a simple way to say thank you to podcasters everywhere is to find some time to leave a review. And we thank you for that gift of your precious time. This week, I meet up with educators who are passionate about assessment and making assessment practices more equitable for their students. Assessment is always a hot topic in education, and right now with everything that is going on in education, it is even more of a topic as we find ways to make our grading and assessment match our priorities and outcomes. I hope you enjoy this fantastic conversation with passionate educators on assessment. And with that, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I am so excited that we have an entire crew all around assessment. And as we were talking before we actually started recording, we're all here, which means there's nobody on Twitter. So we think Twitter's probably dead for the next hour uh, as we are all uh, know each other through the Twitterverse. And it's great to, to actually see it's a little bit bigger than, you know, your little Twitter icon in the Zoom boxes. So that's kind of nice. And you get to see people's smiles and stuff. So I'm so great to have a great conversation today on assessment. I haven't picked a title for this episode yet. And so I love doing that because I usually find during our conversations, somebody says something. I'm like, that's the title. That's something that will wrap up our conversation today. Uh, so we've got a great panel of guests and I'm going to let them all introduce themselves Starting with Shannon. Shannon, welcome to Shifting Our Schools. Hi, thanks, Jeff. Hi to everybody on the panel. So my name is Shannon Jinkle. I come to you from beautiful Prince George, BC, Canada. 
I am a high school English and drama educator. I am also the administrator of a Facebook group for BC educators called Beyond Report Cards. And I'm also a blogger and a speaker and all around, I'm considered like an assessment person in, in, in my building. So anyone with assessment questions comes to me, but I'm really happy to be here. That's great. Awesome. Melissa, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thanks. I'm super happy to be here. My name is Melissa Dean, and I am coming to you tonight from rural southern uh, Manitoba, Canada. I teach uh, grade seven. Uh, I'm also a blogger and also known as the assessment person in my building and also in the division uh, that I work in. Um, and also um, love to share and you can also always find me uh, sharing my ideas whether uh, on assessment particularly whether you've been, you've asked a question or not that's uh, that's what I'm going to talk about so I'm really excited to be here to join the panel. I love it thank you. Cynthia good evening. Good evening Cynthia Nambo here I'm coming from good old Chicago. I'm a mother of two I call them my Nambitas uh, in, and we're all here in Chicago. I am a leadership coach for the Network for College Success. I coach principals and their leadership teams um, on various things. Um, my passion, though, and my former life and um, new life, uh, and I want to continue to be able to do this uh, when I grow up, is really looking at, I think, assessment is uh, we say it's important, but I really feel like it's the hidden giant um, that we really need to um, foster and give to our young people. And once we give it to our young people, it's going to open up so much. So thank you for having me tonight. I'm excited. Let's keep talking. Yeah, I love it. And last but not least, Mr. Tyler Rablin. He's been on the podcast before. It's always great to have you back, Tyler. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So uh, my name's Tyler Rablin. I am a high school ELA teacher. I teach mostly freshmen. I also have a class of debate that I love. Uh, that's that's my class where there's literally like no curriculum and no rules about what it's supposed to look like. So that's the class that I try out anything having to do with ungrading or gradelessness. Um, so I'm, I'm from Sunnyside, Washington, kind of central Washington state and uh, super excited to be here. I like this. Two Canadians and two Americans. This will be really good. Just a great conversation too about different approaches. Uh, we were talking a little bit about that uh, when I was teaching internationally for 10 years. We had a lot of uh, Canadian friends and got to spend a lot of time debating the finer points around grading and assessment between the two systems. So that's great. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get started here. And um, I'll, Shannon, I'll have you kind of get us started with this first question. Why is now the time to reimagine assessment and grading practices? You know, we just went through and we're still in a pandemic. Uh, we're not all the way through it yet, but I think we saw some things uh, that kind of came to light. And why are we, why do you feel like we're kind of seeing this uptick right now in, in reimagining, for lack of a better word, of this idea of assessment and grading? I think the pandemic highlighted so many inequities in our system. But now coming back into our buildings and being face-to-face -face with kids, I think teachers are stuck. And I think this is the time to actually provide some ammunition to get them unstuck. Mm -hmm. Stuck in, what I mean by stuck is stuck in traditional grading practices because teachers are really comfortable in those grading practices. But again, during the pandemic, during remote learning, a lot of inequities came out. We're realizing, you know, even with kids being back in the building, 
There's a lot of social emotional issues. Kids have are coming, you know, they're they're worried about, you know, they're still worried about COVID and they're worried about masks. They're worried about being spending time with their friends. They're worried about catching up. They're worried about graduation. My daughter is in grade 12. She's, you know, has academic concerns. She has social concerns. She has concerns about, you know, what's going to happen for her graduation. And this is a huge burden on, on students. And so it's, it's time to stop and think about like what Cynthia mentioned. This is the cornerstone for how we can do some shape shifting with regard mm-hmm. to school culture. Mm-hmm. I love that. Melissa. Yeah. I, to just add on to something that, that um, was said that through the remote learning, um, one of the things that my students identified and that I think we're starting to come to terms with is that the term school and the terms learning are no longer synonymous. Mm-hmm. And therefore now is we have this, we have this great gift as much as there has been so much about the pandemic that have been such has been, that's been super hard. Um, I actually see it as a gift for us to reimagine everything about the way we, we do school. And I think we dance around this idea of talking about assessment. We talk about everything else. We're going to make changes. We're going to talk about our instructional practices. We're going to, we're going to talk about social emotional learning. And we have this like, this looming fear of talking about assessment. Um, but if we don't talk about that, we're not going to get change anywhere else. But I think the, all of the ways we've been forced to adapt, mm. people are starting to recognize there's holes in the system and that what we, the goal of getting our students to a place of learning is no longer attached to being in the building, to being in the class, to being in a physical space together. It's, it's coming to mean something different. And therefore that means our assessment practices have to mean something entirely different. Yeah. It's so funny. You know what assessment feels like one of those things. As soon as you bring it up, everybody's like, Oh, assessment, you know, like, yeah, we'll change our teaching practices. We'll, we'll talk about SEL and all of that stuff. But as soon as it gets to assessment, it's just like this big, Oh, do we have to type of attitude, which is so interesting. Tyler. I think, uh, you know, grading really had a spotlight during the pandemic when we were like, well, kids are not here. And so that's why grades are bad. We can't force them to do things. But I think what we're seeing and why it's continuing to be something that we can't like we tried to take the spotlight away from it when kids were back in the classroom and we're realizing we can't do that yet because, you know, that kind of the unnamed piece about how people try to use grades with motivation is it doesn't work for every kid. And the subgroup of kids that, you know, really showed that grading does harm to motivation were our kids who had experienced failure previously. Um, you know, that's that's a group that's like, no, nah, grades, like that was a, a terrible bit of feedback. I'm done. I'm frustrated. And that was a, a small enough group that sadly our school system tried to ignore that that was a reality. And then the pandemic hit and a bunch of kids ended up with F's lower grades and came back to school going like, well, now I'm in that boat. So this grade thing is not motivating me anymore. And so we're having to grapple with like, okay, we promised everyone that once kids were back in the building, everything would be fine and back to normal and realizing like that, that facade of grades as motivation has completely fallen down and we're scrambling as a system to figure out what do we do when we can't 
force kids through grades and proximity to do the things we want them to do. And that's why like, you can't just question grades. It becomes, you're questioning the whole system of how we do what we do and how we convince kids to engage. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, I think everything that you've talked about, I think that it really is a time. I think we're seeing this on a lot of different levels. And what I'm kind of feeling is when I'm talking with teachers and I'm talking with different groups, there's this uneasiness of the classroom, right? We're, we're still in masks in a lot of places. A lot of places are still social distanced uh, with kids in masks. There's all types of like the day-to-day stuff is not normal. And so we're still dealing with this idea of things aren't quite normal in my day-to-day life. And then I feel like there's this other kind of like higher level uneasiness that we really can't put our finger on yet. We know something is different. We know things aren't the same. And, and, it's, and it's all of this. It's everything you're talking right? It's grading. It's assessment. It's, it's kids needing to focus on SEL. It's the stress level that kids are at right now because they're trying to graduate and we don't know what that looks like. And all, there's this higher level and we know there's something out there, but I feel like everybody's kind of like, well, it, it just doesn't sit right. So there's kind of like these two levels, like we get like the day-to-day level of just trying to grind it out. But there's this higher level kind of assessments going to blow up. What are we focused on is going to blow up. I think one of the first things we saw during the pandemic for a lot of districts was we blew up this idea of like, oh, there's 795,000 standards you're trying to get through. Gee, what if we just focused on 10, you know? And that was like a huge, like, just like, oh, wow, that really helped. Like we just, were starting to kind of like, I think unravel some of the stuff that was that, you know, that, that we had kind of gotten to uh, in education. And with that, when we're talking about assessment practices, we're talking about trying to make them more equitable. What, what are some ways that, that you are seeing in the classroom that we're trying to find ways or, or approaches that we are seeing being more equitable in our teaching practices? Anybody want to get us started on, on kind of that conversation? Sure. I'll, I'll, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Cynthia. Or Cynthia. Thank you. Um, I could start in, in, and there's actually some distinction I want to bring into the conversation. Uh, more equitable um, or generative. Mm. And so I think something that we need to really start to re not, I wouldn't even say reimagine, like get rid of the stuff. Let's do it um, in a way that generates uh, for young people, the knowledge of themselves, and then generates the motivation for them to learn more about what they want to learn about and then learn about themselves. So when we make it more equitable, there's still harm happening. And I would say for students that are successful getting those A's and for students that are not successful, considering I was one of those students that were getting A's and B's, um, the there is a standard. And I think you spoke to that, like, what are these thousand standards that we yeah. have to teach to, right? Well, it confuses everybody, right. right? It confuses teachers, it confuses students. And they were looking at something as you need to come to this point instead of what do our young people know already? And then how can they contextualize it? So, you know, so going back to the equitable gradings week, you know, I'm seeing people really start to um, debate zeros, right? Mm-hmm. So zero to 50 or zero to 60, what is the weight of that failure when failure is supposed to fuel, you know, your learning, right? And so if we're putting that much weight onto it, it seems really logical, like we can understand it, but we tend to still, you know, be in that in that practice of weighing 
the, the mistakes instead of using them to motivate, right? Mm, and so that. that's one. Um, and I think the other is, um, is really thinking about how do our learning, our practices for assessment, how do they line up to the learning pit? And how does it um, uh, align to the J curve? Again, they're going to regress and that's the mistakes part. Once they discern how they learn, because that's the other piece, how are we giving them information about how they learn? That looks like a J curve, right? And then how are they getting out of that pit? So I'll stop there because I think Shannon wants to add to the conversation. That's okay. You go. That was that was great. Love I don't that. know how I don't know how I follow that. But you know, I think equitable practices include things like bringing students into the folds of assessment mm -hmm. instead of you know teachers always being the dictator of the criteria, um, triangulation of learning, um, best most relevant evidence of learning instead of there are 10 assignments for this standard and you have to do them all. And that aligns a little bit what Cynthia said, right? We, we throw in zeros in the grade book and that completely skews a grade, whether or not you're standards-based or you're, or, or you're grading. When you have a conversation with a student and they have never been immersed in standards-based grading or any kind of gradelessness ever before, and you say, it's okay if this week is not your week, Next week, we're coming back to the standard, and then I'm going to be able to, you're going to provide evidence of learning, and we'll use that. It blows their mind. They feel seen, they feel heard, mm. they feel loved, and they feel appreciated. Oh, I love that. Melissa? Yeah, there's, there's, there's so many things that are swirling around in my head right now. Um, when, when I think about any assessment practice, I think... I always come back to three questions uh, for my learners. And that, that is no matter what kind of assessment I'm doing or information, they need to know where they are right now, where they're going to go next and how they're going to get there. And no matter what, there's, there's so many different ways that we can come at this. We're um, talking about making things more equitable, opening up the lens to have this recognition that assessment evaluation doesn't mean test quiz project it means what are you doing in the classroom mm. as soon as you enter the room what we what you are doing is you are continuing your learning journey mm. and my interactions with you are going to be assessment and it's going to look like conversations it's going to look like observations it's it's going to look like products yes but giving each student that opportunity and that awareness that at any time they can choose to show me what they have learned and get feedback from me on their journey, whether it's a quick conversation over a practice problem in mathematics or a, or a paragraph they're writing in my ELA classroom, opening, opening up our understanding of what assessment really is, I think is the starting point to really truly making it a, a more equitable practice, because then it's going to start to reflect who our kids really are, what they really know and where they need to go next. And they get that input from us. I could talk for five hours, but I won't. <laughs> I love it. And I think, you know, I just keep thinking of this, this idea that we have, and, and you've all touched on this is that, the harm that zeros do or not giving kids the ability 
to try again. Uh, And we've said it in a couple different ways, but this idea that failure leads to success, right? Failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is everything that happens right before you become successful, right? Fear is the opposite of success. Failure is everything that happens right before you become successful. And what I love about this, and, and I talk about this all the time, is it's the way life works. That's what we should be doing with students. I'll take today for a perfect example. I literally came running in here. I've been trying to put up freaking lights outside all day. <laughs> I failed putting them away last year that some of them were broken. I went to the store the first time, failed to get the right length of lights, right? <laughs> I came back. Of course, tried to put them up. They weren't long enough. So I go back to the store, failed to get the incandescent ones. It got LED ones. So now they're two different white colors, which you just can't have. So my third, my third trip to the store, but I ended tonight with my house all lit up and it looks beautiful. Did I fail or was I ultimately getting an A because we got this cool looking house, right? Four attempts it took me to get it right. And what, what grade do I get? Are you gonna are you going to average that out and say, oh, you get a C? And I just think about that. Like we all do this in life, right? We all have, and we all have stories like that. That that's how you live. Failure is everything that happens right before you become successful. And I love our next question. Our next question is: how do your assessments give students knowledge about themselves? I love that. Like I, I was thinking about that for me today. Like I finally, <laughs> as I went to, I went to the, as I was going to the store for the third time, I thought to myself, you know what you should do? You should actually give yourself a note. So you remember to pick up everything. See, I learned something about myself. Don't rely just on your brain, write it down in a list. Amazing. Mind blowing. Other thoughts. You know, if I can add to that, um, you know, when I was an uh, educator back way that, you know, way, way back. Um, many years ago. Um, I mean, I'm still an educator, but of young people in front in the classroom. And we came up with what was called an outcomes based assessment program. And it, I, re- I remember so clearly that the parents were so upset when we were presenting the model. And in and I had a classroom with two doors, and they would come in one door really angry and then asking these questions. And I said, oh, it's okay. My young people will answer the questions because that's they were the ones that were presenting their knowledge and talking about the, the model. And they were, they were presenting, I mean, I was a science teacher, so they were presenting their knowledge about science and their learning targets and their progressions, where they were at, where they wanted to go. And when they, the parents would leave out the other door, they had smiles on their faces and they were already asking for, you know, how they could refer other parents to the Mm. school. So I think that's the power is putting the young people at the front and center. I just kind of introduced myself and then uh, handed it over to the young people and they were able to articulate their learning. As a principal, I implemented a competency-based program wall to wall. So it was integrated with social, emotional and academics. And and one of the competencies, and I wanna make a distinction there, I think that our system is so is old, antiquated, and um, racist, and patriarchal, and whatever else you want to add to that. That um, does not allow for people to be who they are, right? And so, in that, instead of thinking of, about competition, which that's what competition does, right? We're thinking about competence. Mm-hmm. So then, what is the competence, right? And one competency I'll give you 
um, a sense of what our young people are capable of. One was fully human versus hegemony. And they were able to break down then all of the indicators of what those things look like and how they can apply them. And I had city um, leaders across Chicago that came to speak to them and they and the students themselves, I had five students, didn't prep them, had them re you know, ready for that um, evening, gave them some food so that they'd be with us in the evening. And they were able to speak to it again. And again, you know, some of these students actually said how they were applying it at home. Yeah. So that's where you know, right? What are they walking away with and their articulation of where they're at and where they want to go, that's where we need, that's what we need, a system that'll do that. I love that. And I think so I 100% agree with that. And and I think assessment is is one piece about, you know, the, the child being reflected. I think it's then whatever assessment we're using, whether we're using a status-based grading assessment system or a gradelessness, we're using feedback, it's also now thinking about what opportunities can I actually give them where they're actually, they feel that they are part of the process that they are actually reflected in the learning. I do a lot of project-based learning. I do things like 20% time with, with kids, um, which ends up becoming more like 80% time, right? In the mm -hmm. classroom, which is, which is <laughs> awesome, right? Um, and those opportunities where they get that voice and choice, you know, assessment still becomes part of the process, but it becomes almost second nature where they, they kind of forget about the fact, oh, right, I'm eventually going to be graded, but I'm having so much fun working through Mrs. Schinkel's proficiency sequence on this. Um, you know, my grade eights are, are, are they have a, an inquiry question. It's about how, what activity do I feel I love about and love doing on the land? And, and what my grade nines are doing is about charities and organizations that, uh, they feel reflected in. So I think the opportunities is the other piece is making sure we actually think about learning opportunities in tandem with the assessment piece. Yeah, that's one thing that I, I find that's really interesting. I'm, I'm uh, helping some teachers right now create a unit of inquiry. And it's really interesting because if we want to assess differently, right, we're talking about these learning progressions and giving kids multiple choices to success and this idea that failure leads to success. You start grading that way it, and you start working backwards, right? In a backwards by design model, it, it actually changes your teaching practice. And, and I think that's a, it's a really interesting way to go about it because a lot of times I feel like we get stuck in this thing like, okay, well, I have to do the curriculum. Don't get me started on that, but you understand what I'm saying, right? I've got to do the curriculum. And then at the end, I'm stuck because I've, I've done it like I've always done it, but I I can't fit what I've always done into a new grading paradigm because there there's this, if you're going to grade different, you got to teach different. There's, there's a different uh, approach to the entire structure of the way things are done. And I think that's a, that's, you know, kind of what you're getting to Shannon. All of a sudden you're like, we're doing inquiry based and we're doing 20% time and all this stuff is, is, is everything we're talking about. And your instruction now has changed because your assessments, what you're expecting to be able to assess on the, on the end has changed. Melissa. Yeah, um, to to give like a shameless plug for a book that I just wrote, um, which is actually all about everything that you just said. Um, this notion that, again, to come back to, like we can, if you change your teaching practice without really changing what you fundamentally believe about assessment, then you're not, you're going to end up at the end of this journey, like 
I, I just think about like first year teaching me when I like used my math textbook and I yeah. taught the math textbook and I got to the, the writing my report cards and I was like, I have all these marks in this mark book and they are like meaningless because they didn't actually address, I'd have no idea what these numbers mean anymore. Right. Um, it is just this dis- disconnected. And then we have this conundrum where teachers are starting to change their teaching practices, but then at the end they want to boil it down to, and they're like, but well, how can I get a mark out of this? Like, Ooh, yeah. The point of it cannot be, even when we talk about backwards design learning, like all, which is, which I think is a fantastic idea. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of us are backwards design planning with it's the idea of ultimately, how do I get a mark in my mark book to show what my kids did over the last six weeks, right? That's still the end goal that we're thinking about when we're planning for our backwards designing. And I think like that's this, this notion of, of reimagining really what school is really has to come down to. You have to start at your pedagogy of assessment mm. and really sitting down and like writing out for yourself. Like, what do you really fundamentally believe about what assessment is? Um, and that recognition that um, one of the phrases I landed on this the last couple of months, if you if you follow me on Twitter, you will have seen me tweet about. I don't think you're assessing what I th- what you think you're assessing, yeah. um, right? This That's notion true. of we have to start there. We have to really like we 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 do all this stuff in teachers' college about like what's your philosophy of education. But the the question needs to be what's your philosophy of assessment. Mm. Because that's where your whole life as an educator and the way your classroom runs is going to flow out of. So that's where we, that, that's got to be the starting point. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, shamelessly plug the book and we'll make sure that there's a link to the book. Uh, what is the title of the book? Uh, the title of the book, it's coming out in the next couple of weeks. I hope it's called Unschooled. Oh, congrats. Congrats on that. We'll make sure there's a link uh, in the show notes to that and everybody's Twitter accounts as well. Uh, and anything else you guys want to throw in there, make sure we'll put it over in the Google Doc and make sure it gets out there. Tyler, I'd like you to talk a little bit about this because I know that you you uh, have some templates and stuff that you have shared in trainings about how you use assessment to help people gain reflection skills. And I think that's part of it, right? Like if we're, if we're, if we're saying that failure is everything that happens before you're successful, well, that only happens if you have an opportunity to reflect on the failure, whatever that looks like, so that you can try again. Can you maybe talk to like, what are some of the ways that you set up assessments or what does that look like for you and your students? Yeah, I, for me, a big thing that that it comes down to is, I mean, for a long time in my practice, it was like, you know, I would embrace the idea that like, well, failure leads to success. And then like they would get something wrong or demonstrate that they don't understand something. And then, but then there wasn't really a clear next step to success. And so it was like, well, I know I'm all the way over here. I'm you realize I'm using my hands on a podcast. I'm all the way on this end of the spectrum and I have to get all the way to the other side of it. And for a lot of kids, there's some, I love in feedback research, this stuff, they call it the cost benefit gap. Um, but the idea that if a student fails, and they see the cost of getting to that end goal of success as too great, then the benefit, they they don't see the benefit as worth it. And so they're not going to engage in it. And so for me, when I'm thinking about how do I want my students to be able to actually use that failure in a meaningful way, they need to know the the specific cause of, I'll use that term failure again, but the specific 
very specific thing that led to them not really reaching their final destination. And then being able to see the steps that will lead to that final success um, so that it's not just, you know, you didn't reach the goal, figure it out, but Hey, this is where you're at in your journey. This is a good next step. Like let's isolate that specific thing. Cause you know, a lot of kids, like I hear there's a really great Ted talk that Sal Khan does. that talks about kids saying, I'm not good at math. Um, and, and he says, you know, they get all the way up. They, they didn't learn how to use exponents at some point. And then they get all the way up to, they think I can never do calculus is his example. And, and I just love that example of that's a student who wasn't shown the specific area that they needed to focus on. They just thought generally I'm bad at this thing. And at that point, failure is not a positive experience for them. Failure is right. like, well, I didn't get it and I'm stuck. And where do I go from here? So for me, it's really about looking at what am I asking them to learn and then breaking that down backwards. And I don't just mean like a couple steps backwards. I mean, there are so many things that we assume students should know, and that's where we leave students out of the conversation a lot. So I really, I mean, when you're planning backwards of what are the skills that lead to understanding of this concept, go as far back as you need to, right? Like make sure there is no matter what gap a kid might have that they can see, this is where I have an access point to the learning. This is my in, like I exist on this scale. Cause I think sometimes we have kids who just think, I don't see myself anywhere here. And mm. that's one of the worst things that we can tell the students or have them feel in our classrooms. Yeah. Shannon. There are such huge metacognitive benefits to reflection and teaching kids actually how to think about their learning, right? Um, it's not, and, and I model it myself. I'll, when I start a lesson and I have to reteach uh, and explain something again, it, it's modeling for the students that, you know, I use glows and grows with them, right? Where they think about the positives and the negatives in their learning. And I say the same thing. What were my glows? Um, what were my grows? Let me, I think I need to reteach this. When it comes to the reflection piece, it's, I love the word yet, mm. right? It's the power of yet. You are here. You are not there yet. Mm. You are, you know, in BC, we have a four point scale. You are emerging. You're not developing yet. And then there's this power that it's this wonderful, never ending continuum that you can, you know, you will get there eventually with other evidence of learning and with a little bit more reteaching and with a little more reflection, get messy, try and fail and, and really think about your learning instead of looking at it as one and done reflection is such a huge piece. Yeah. I, I so agree. Cynthia. Yeah. I, I really appreciate. I mean, I think that's the piece where you spoke to um, earlier, Shannon, about what are the opportunities? Well, how are we designing that opportunity for metacognition? We, we kind of always, you know, complain about how young people don't make the right decisions. Well, how do we teach them how to go into that magna cognitive state, right? Um, and, and where are the opportunities for that to apply it, right? That's real, it's authentic. Um, how do we actually design our timeline so that we're like taking stock? Okay, here we are in the learning. Where are you at? Where do we need to go? The other piece I want to kind of bring in as well, we always talk about this, kids can't do group work. Adults can't do group work. Well, because we didn't teach them when they were kids, right? <laughs> but how are we engaging our peers, right? How are we having um, our young people give each other feedback, right? And let's say not just good or bad feedback, because I really, that those words in education, we need to get rid of them. 
I feel, you know, this was good, this was bad. No, it's got to be explicit, criterion-based feedback. Yeah, I like that. Saying, oh, this is where you were, this is where you can go, right? I think that's what you were um, also speaking to, Shannon, about the yet, right? Not yet. That's actually one of the statuses we would use as well. And I would also add numbers are distracting us from the real learning. Like mm. if, if we're based in numbers and that's all, all that we ever talk about and that's what we going on in these classrooms, if we're not actually talking about the specific criterion, the specific skills that students are gaining. And and I, I just want to reiterate that, right, is how do our young people, that's a metacognitive state as well, how are young people's articulating their own growth, their own selves, how do they know their own assets if we're not, we're not giving that um, in their learning spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Eight hours a day, five days a week, and sometimes even on weekend when we give them all that homework, right? What an opportunity to be able to give them the skill set that they need to really kind of transform our world, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that. Melissa? Um, one of the things I was just thinking about is, uh, and that I've had some really interesting conversations with my colleagues around is this notion or reminder for ourselves that, um, I mean, in Canada, you know, each province has its own provincial curriculum and now have this document that tells me, you know, in grade seven mathematics, my, my learners need to do this. Um, the intention is that those expectations are at the end of the school year. <laughs> By June of next year, my students need to be able to do this. Well, it's November right now. So when we're assessing, it, it's not you need to know this by the arbitrarily assigned deadline that the teacher has set on because my unit plan tells me I need to be done <laughs> in, in November, right? So yeah. The whole entire school year yeah. to show you their learning mm. and letting the kids know that. But also like that's a hard conversation to have with colleagues is to help them wrap their minds around the fact that the, yes, the numbers are distracting us and these arbitrarily set deadlines that we are imposing on our learners are super distracting for us and also for them because they are, are having, our students are experiencing this, this time, this place, this okay, well, now is the integers unit and, oh, I don't know integers right now. I'm just, I don't get it, but I'm, we're done the integers unit. We're moving on. Even though really I'm not supposed to be able to show you all of these things until June, my integers unit was in November. So you have yeah. to show me these things by the end of November. Um, having that recognition and, and having those conversations those with, with our colleagues and with our students and with our parents, mm -hmm. right? Those are some of those hard conversations we have to have, but it just, um, as Shannon was talking and like that kind of what came into my mind, a, a remembrance of what we really mean when we have these curriculum expectations that we are trying to help our students achieve. And I, I think you're hitting on a very interesting point. You know, we were talking about like, you know, I was kind of talking about like, there's the day-to-day -day stuff that we're going through right now, but there's, the, there's a lot of this bigger stuff above here that, that kind of is the foundation of what education has been that I think 
we're starting to see the crumble. And I think one of those, and I think you were kind of speaking to this, Melissa, is this idea of curriculum mapping, right? Like we scope and sequenced out curriculum maps. And we did, we had these maps that told teachers like by November 31st, you need to be on page 75. And if you're on page 75 and your team is already on page 80, you're behind as a teacher. So what do you do as a teacher? You speed up. And when we get into these curriculum maps and we get into these scope and sequences that we put together throughout the 20th century, what we were still trying to do at the end of the day was to fit every kid in the same box, right? We're trying to fit every kid in the same box and saying, here's the, and all of a sudden we're saying, oh, but we want to personalize learning. We want learning to be personalized to, and for every kid, right? But you can't do that and scope and sequence at the same time. There's, you can't personalize a path. Like it, 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 you, and, and it's one of those things I think that we're seeing come to an end. I hope that we're seeing come to an end to understand that this is where you need to be on June, whatever the end date is, right? This is where you have to be then. We're going to be working on all of this stuff over and over and over again. Like you, these, you know, these, these standards are going to come back. This is where you're at. You're emerging. We're going to get to developing, put it in the back pocket for now. We'll come. We know what happens in time, especially with adolescence. Like we've got all this stuff out there. But you're right. I think a lot of times we're still stuck in some of this 20th century, you know, where we were in education, not saying it was right or wrong. It's just where we were. Like we were all like, we've got to all be in the same. And I think part of it was we had 3,775 standards. So we had to try and, you know, get them all done. And so we, we needed a map. And now we're saying, look, you got to personalize this for kids. Let's just break it down, slow it down, figure out where this goes. And you can't rush that. And I think that is that it's one of those things right now that I think we're really hitting heads with and trying to figure out how do we how do we work in around this system that we spent so much time and money on, you know, for the last 30 years. And all of a sudden it's crumbling around us. Shannon. Yeah, let's get rid of this mindset that there's, you know, the curriculum. Well, and, and teaching that way where we're trying to rush through it is that. Uh, the idea of, you know, it, it becomes an inch deep and a mile wide, right? It's but so I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of Melissa and, and even and push so far as to say that learning doesn't even have to be has to end even in June, right? Um, we're are a lot of our focus right now in 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 BC and across the country is this idea of starting to indigenize our curriculum. And, you know, uh, listening to uh, respected um, Indigenous pr uh, professionals, uh, Indigenous elders who talk about how learning is this beautiful cyclical um, yeah. space that um, and as part of Indigenous ways of knowing and learning that, you know, in BC, a lot of our standards actually repeat themselves from year to year. I mean, the idea is inherent that it's going to get cognitively more complex per year, but we get to keep looping and coming back to them so that kids have other chances at those exact same standards from year to year. And that just breathes life, I think, into mm. the curriculum and into the learning. I love that. I love that. I wanted to add something both to Melissa and Shannon, but I wanted to invite Tyler in to the conversation if, if he felt the need to. Yeah, I just any anytime the the scope and sequence curriculum mapping comes up, I mean, if there is not a brighter light that shines on the fact that we don't know how to grades like kids in our school system, like if you have no idea what the kids learning, the only thing you can do is control what the teacher's teaching. And so for me, every time I see something that's like, 
oh, we, this is our scope and sequence. This is our curriculum map. All our teachers hold to that. I'm like, so you don't really know what kids are learning, do you? Like, you know, like this is an open, honest acknowledgement of like, yeah, we make sure that our, all our teachers teach the same thing because we have no idea how to know if our kids are learning what they're supposed to be learning. And so I'm like, anytime I hear like that being touted is like, we have the best scope and sequence and pacing that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't think you know what you're saying right now. Like maybe let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, what I wanted to add to that, and you really, thank you for the transition. I really appreciate that. All of you brought this up, and I think it's so important. Assessment is actually a way to deeply listen to our young mm. people. Ooh, I love it. And, and, and really listen in a way that says, oh, I'm learning something here as well. And that was one of my greatest joys. I was sharing that with friends the other day, my greatest joys of teaching whether it's young people or adults, it's just listening to what they already know. And I didn't even think about it the way they did. And then connecting that to each other. And I would invite a young person to say, can you share that idea? How about this one? How about that? And then, wow, to see like the way that it connects and it expands and expounds in the learning, it goes across the classroom. And I think that's what is the, is the lost opportunity with assessment when it's been, um, Tech, you know, made technical instead of, wow, this is the way I learn is mm. through assessment um, and assessing and listening to our young people and then how to connect that to the curriculum instead of doing a curriculum onto our students. Right. Oh. <laughs> That's so all right, good. I had to throw my hands up there. I know people, you know, listening to the podcast can't see us all going. <gasps> I know. <laughs> You all inspire me. <laughs> but it, oh, but it's just that just that exact notion there mm. of like I I think about again when I look back my on myself as a younger educator and I kind of cringe a little bit be, and I and I think we all should. I think if we don't look back at our younger oh, self, for sure. Oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Yep, yeah, um, we all do. But you know that notion of at one point in my career, I, I really strongly held to. I taught it, but you didn't learn it. And here's yeah. how I know you didn't learn it because you failed this test, yeah. and that's on you. Not, not my fault. I stood here for fault. three days in a row. Exactly. I taught it. You didn't learn it. That's your problem. Um, obviously, now I have a whole different understanding. But this, we are, we are learners. Our job. I just we have we've to come to this note this recognition too that any of the content that we're going to teach our students they could google yeah right therefore our job is to provide learning experiences for our students to learn different things about how to be a learner and we need to model that process and i love what cynthia is talking about is that this notion that assessment is our opportunity to learn and then to model that learning back for the students yeah. right to take in this this information that we're being given from our students and use that to continue to plan what the next way forward is not just for that kid but for all of the kids and for ourselves as learners in the room too um so it just that's something that really yeah. struck me as uh, as Cynthia was talking yeah and I think that's a good segue to our next question is because I I do that the same you know I I am I feel bad like I was a fourth grade teacher like I think back of like the damage I did to kids <laughs> 20 years ago where I'm just like, Oh, I find them every once in a while on Facebook. I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but I think, you know, our, our, the, the next question we kind of ha have here is, you know, if, if I'm a teacher and I'm listening to this, I'm listening to this podcast, I'm like, yeah, 
I hear you. I, I can see the writing on the wall in, in my district or in my school. We're having these conversations. How do I get started? How do I get started in this process of reimagining the assessment journey for, for all of you? Kind of what, what suggestions do you have? What was your first step? What is something that, that you're like, okay, if you're just starting to think about this, what, where should you go? What, what's a step you should take? Well, I first, I mean, I have a whole bunch of steps, but let's let's figure this out together because I think there are some that we can um, uh, generate. But one is eliminate zeros, period, mm. right? And and the overweight of failure, and then and then use the failure as design, right? Uh, the other is essentialize the learning. So what is the learning progression? What's the learning target, and what's the learning progression? And don't get too wrapped up into um, what the coverage, right? Mm. Get into what what are you listening in terms of what the young people already have, and then how are they making sense of you know the pathway toward the learning target, and then keep keep that going um, and put that in your grade book or put it somewhere, right? Um, that you can you know eventually use it for um, for then a final assessment. But what else are you all thinking? Because there's there's so many. I like I like the idea of posing the question. Like if you were to bring this up, like let's say to staff and say, okay, we're reimagining assessment. There's been lots of chatter about this. What do you hope to see changed? So let's think. What's the end line? What's the finish line? What do you hope to see differently? And then literally start thinking about you know working backwards actually with the staff to, you know, what are the steps in which, what can we implement? What can we talk about? Should we, you know, wrestle first with our why, which is always, I think, a really important thing. Let's wrestle with our why before we start thinking about the how, because this, this, this teacher here implemented a how in the school and it kind of crashed and burned. Yeah. So it's, it's, and we needed that time to breathe into the why and in making sure that we communicate with with a staff or or any kind of any kind of a group of educators that it's okay if that finish line is a, a few years down the road we're going to take some baby steps and and work on this uh, one of the things that has worked really well in my school is we actually implemented what's called a, a secondary assessment learning team. So we grabbed a group of educators that really wanted to do a deep dive where we can you know, read some literature and have these really in-depth discussions and then come back to staff and share what we've learned and let it try to blossom and bloom in within the staff. Mm. How much Tyler, like, uh, just real quick, I was just thinking about this because it's great ideas. And Cynthia saying, you know, eliminate zeros, which I think is a great step. How much like Tyler in your school, do you like, does your grade book have to align with the other ELA teachers or is your grade book, your grade book, and you can eliminate zeros and they can keep zeros. Where are we? And I asked Tyler, but you can all kind of answer this. Like how, how aligned are, are those grade books even in that like if i'm if i'm if i want to start making some of these changes do i have to go to my plc and and say it or is it kind of like are we still on this like island of everybody's assessing differently anyway i i would bet in the majority of schools it's everybody's assessing on an island and and a lot of it comes down to i mean for better or worse like there are a lot of 
contracts have an academic freedom clause and usually included in that is grading. And I, you know, I have loved it being the person who's always going out on a limb. Like no one can necessarily tell me that I can't try something new. Yeah. Um, but I think that's part of the, part of the reason why as a teacher, I mean, when you see grading reform comes, come up, that's why it's one of the hardest things to address as a school a lot of times it's like, nope, don't touch that. We can't talk about that. You know, uh, and it's like that. And it's like, well, it's causing harm to kids. And that seems like something we should be able to talk about. Um, so I, you know, I would, I would say for most teachers as encouragement to you, you probably can go out on a limb a little bit. I mean, do your research and be prepared for some backlash uh, if you don't communicate well with parents and admin. But a lot of times there is, there is way more wiggle room than we feel like we have. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I have had to learn over and over again. Yeah, I would agree because I would say most schools that I work with as a consultant, the most I'm given is like, oh, our grading scale is an A plus is 98 to 102 and A like that's as much as you're given. How you get to whatever those grades are, every teacher gets to decide what actually goes in the quote unquote grade book to get you to that. And then nobody because you have in a lot of contracts, you're absolutely right in teacher unions, teacher union, heavy states, a lot of contracts say you have the freedom to grade however you want, as long as you're fitting, you know, whatever that letter is has to fit inside this. Yeah. Melissa. Um, when I think about starting points, um, one of the things that I think needs to be a starting point and that was my starting point was letting go of this notion. And it goes, it's tied into this, to, to the zeros that a, a student's final grade is an average of all of the different things that they have done throughout a course yes. of time. And that is still a very, very prevalent method of assessment. Um, even within all of the freedoms that we, the same thing happens. I would say, like, if you looked at all the grade seven teachers, there's seven, sorry, there are six grade seven teachers in my school. I would guess with, with, with 100% certainty that all of our grade books, and I don't even have a grade book, um, all, our method of coming up with our with a final grade is all entirely different. Mm. Um, but but the notion of averages, even though it says in some of our documentation about how you come up with a final grade, that's a really, really, really hard one for people to let go of. Yeah. Um, and being able to trust ourselves to, 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 to use the most recent and relevant piece of, of evidence to write a report card because mm. we have to write report cards. Ultimately, as much as I wish I could just get rid of grades altogether, I still have to write a final report card at the end of each three terms. Um, you, that note, trusting ourselves to come up with, to, to use a whole body of evidence, but being willing to let go of averages and being willing, you know, so like in, in our system, as Shannon mentioned, we have, you know, we have, I do, I have four levels um, and how we level three, two, one, uh, four, three, two, one. We all have different terms for them, but we think of level four as being proficient and level one as being beginning. Um, even something as simple and rubrics are not the end all and be all of how we change our assessment practices. But even in subjects like mathematics, instead of assigning a, t a mark total, you, like coming back to that number, right? right. Where we're like asking kids to um, like read our minds about what gets a mark and what doesn't get a mark. Um, and those artificial mark totals on top of test papers or whatever, right? Even something as simple for me, like my very first step on, on my own journey was to replace check marks and totals with rubrics and mm. progressions of this is what a level four looks like, a three looks like, a two looks like, a one looks like. 
and and writing those those rubrics in asset based language. Mm. This is what you can do right now, because we spend a lot of time talking about growth mindset and this notion of not yet, and then and then we spend all of our time saying, oh oh, but by the way, here's all the things you can't do yet. Right. Yeah. Right? So. moving moving to using rubrics or another sort of tool that's going to help you identify for kids where they are right now and that will automatically show them what Mm. the next step is and then you have that piece in between where you talk with kids about how you're going to get to the next place yeah and i want to really i want to (laughs) say something that you said again because i can't say that word whatever that means yeah that one uh but this idea of trusting yourself Mm-hmm. right? You trust yourself. I think if you hear nothing else in this entire podcast, trust yourself. You trust that you know your kids, that you don't need a number to say, well, the kid's got to be because the grade book says 82. Yeah. So that's a B, you know, trust yourself in that there are multiple different ways. A number is not even one of them that you can trust yourself to say, I believe this child is at whatever it is and have the evidence to back it up, but you, but trust yourself. Oh, I don't think we can say that enough right now in education, Tyler. Yeah. Melissa was talking about the average and Shannon earlier used a term that I would say is a really good first step. When we talk about triangulating, Mm -hmm. Um, really, when we think about assessment as trying to get a complete picture of a student and then using that to determine what's their current level of understanding, because uh, it, it takes out the the averaging piece that is so harmful to how we use grades in schools. I mean, it also, one of the things it's forced me to question is how am I using summative assessments? Because really a lot of times when we step away from traditional grading and move to standards-based assessment, the approach is, okay, well now the practice doesn't count. It's just the big test at the end. And I'm like, well, isn't that just standardized testing on a small scale and doing it (laughs) repeatedly every day in the classroom? You know, like, and, and so, and you know, with that too, it's also, am I tying my assessments to standards? Do I have a rubric that will help me evaluate that? So really, I mean, if you can ask that question, can I triangulate the student's current level of understanding? There are so many wheels that get set in motion when you start thinking about that question. That's the question that I would start asking if you're trying to figure out where to begin. Oh, I love that. I love that. Cynthia? Yeah, I wanted to add to that. I'm so happy. Oh, Melissa, thank you for bringing that powerful word of assets, right? Mm. I, I I really realized that um, in, in the many years of my experience that when I focus on a gap, right, um, I make it more deficient when I think of it as a deficiency gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I regress. And when we think about it as a gap to go, the whole other way. So it's like, okay, where are we in the journey and how are we going to get there? It gave me many more opportunities. It gave me much more curriculum design and it gave me much more power for all students. And so I really appreciate you bringing that conversation. Um, And that's really important that we start, we need to shift that. We actually do. The system is based on deficiencies when it should be based on what is actually Mm, I love that. Again, that listening of what's there, right? Um, I think why we are 
professional discernment. And that's, I think, what you were bringing up, M Melissa. Like, we need that in the conversation and in the space. Um, and I just think that also, like, it is hard to give feedback to all students and be the only one. So have students give themselves feedback, let them um, assess themselves and give them full points for it. You know, have other students assess other students and give them full points for it. Give them full points for trying and failing, right? Like there, if you give them, you know, if you value that in the classroom and you want them to make mistakes, then those are the things you can get started on right now. And then that's going to give you more information about where you can go. Yeah. I love that. Learning to take assessment from your peers is a critical skill, you know, in the workplace, in life. Like my wife is assessing me all the time. Like as a peer, I get assessed all the time with whether or not I'm doing things right. But it's true, right? Like it's part of being in a relationship. It's part of being in a work environment that you and your peers are going to be working together and giving each other feedback, assessing each other's work like that. And, and it counts not more than the boss, same as the boss, right? That if we're actually working in a team, our assessment of each other is, is critical to the learning process or to moving your company forward or to finishing a project or whatever, whatever that might be. Shannon? But it can help us build community too. Like our classrooms are becoming so diverse. Like we're getting we're moving kids out of the flipping resource rooms and out of the alternate programs and we're putting them and we're all in general education classes, which is a beautiful thing because that's what the, it's reflective of the real world, yeah. you know, a real world, you know, we don't have to segregate everybody and we build that community and we bring assessment in there and we build these progressions or, or rubrics and, you know, then Everyone has their position on that progression. Yeah. Everyone can support each other. I've got, you know, uh, a couple of students in, in my English eight right now who have um, a moderate to severe intellectual disability. They are part of the community. They're peers at their table who would be considered, you know, part of the mainstream class. They're supporting them and they're all working on the same continuum because you just meet them where they're at and get them to to learn along that along that progression or sequence and it's beautiful and the kids miss miss the other kids when they're not there right yeah. we're 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 trying to make the world a better place <laughs> it's awesome yeah i love that and we all bring our strengths and weaknesses and i think that's a big part of assessment as well is understand your strengths and weaknesses you know i mean you're not going to be 100 well, very rarely are you 100% or nobody's 100% in everything, right? Like just, and, and I think we, I think we need to do a better job. It's something I've been reflecting on is like, if I was to go back into the fourth grade classroom, I think I'd spend like the first month helping kids understand themselves. Like what, what do you do? Like, I, and I talk about this all the time. I'm dyslexic, right? The worst thing, I, I'm not good at reading. That's not a, that's not a strength of mine but I can talk really well. <laughs> you know, I can put things together. Like I'm very mechanically, you know, handy. And so those are my strengths, but I also have weaknesses. And so when you are then working in groups, if I know my strengths and weaknesses, you want to pair me with somebody who's a reader like my wife, right? The way I met my wife is she read my textbooks to me in college because that that's what I needed to learn. Right. And so you, you pair these strengths and weaknesses together and you end up with these powerful teams, and I think that that's a, a big piece and that's feedback and that's assessment and that's understanding yourself. 
And, and you are able then to create a classroom culture where we all understand that, hey, I'm good at this, you're good at that, but together, you know, we're even more powerful. And I, I think that's such a great, just a, something great to, to, to remember is how much time do kids actually know how they learn best? I think that's something that, especially during the pandemic, when kids were left at home at distance learning, I, I felt like there were a lot of kids that didn't even know how they learn best. Like, am I somebody that needs a checklist? Am I somebody that needs to do all my work? Like, personally speaking, I work before noon. I'm not an afternoon worker. By two o'clock, I'm done. I know other people that only work really good at two to five. And, and I think during the pandemic, some kids found that out. I think other kids struggled and didn't find that out. And all of a sudden, we bring them back to school and we're like, oh, by the way, lunch is at 11, whether you're hungry or not. School starts at 7.30, whether, whether, whether or not you're ready to learn. And I think especially with high school kids, I think there's a little bit of this going on too, is it's like, wait a minute, wait, I, I was able to do this on my own time. And now you're telling me I have to do it on your time again. And I'm struggling with that. <laughs> uh, and I think we're seeing behaviors in school are, are up. I think there's a lot of things we're trying to, we're trying to re, you know, re, refigure as an entire system of like, wait a minute, this isn't all jiving with me again. I don't know. There's just a lot out there right now. And I think a lot of it around this idea of assessment, kids knowing themselves, being able to reflect, working in teams. Um, it's, it's, it's so good. If, if you had to cope with, and I think the last question, and we'll get here and get off the podcast because I know we can talk forever. But if, if you are a teacher who you find yourself on an island, like you're the only one in the school who seems to be thinking about assessment, who maybe after this podcast, you're like, you know what? One small step I can do, no more zeros in my class. I'm just taking all the zeros out. You can do that tomorrow before you do final grades. If you took out all the zeros, what would that do to grades? You know, that's a simple step. But if you're on an island, and, and I don't know if, if some of you are in your schools or, or even in your district, if you're a rogue principal who's got your, you know, who's got your school going down a different path, what are some things that, that you can say uh, to those that feel like they're kind of on an island beating their head against a wall other than follow all of you on Twitter? I mean, I'm just going to say that that's step one, follow this whole crew. It's in the show notes, add them all to your Twitter feed, and then you'll get your mind blown every day. But um, other than that, what are some things that, that you would help or suggest teachers who are feeling like I'm beating my head against a wall or a system that's not ready for this yet? Or I, w- I would definitely say find a partner. There is always at least one more Um, It is also a way to keep you accountable, right? Mm -hmm. And in deep reflection, Um, I would also, you know, engage in double scoring or calibrating, um, you know, any of the assessments that you're doing with with the educator. Um, And then just being able to coordinate with other teachers, even if it's on the level of coordinating just the assignments or the volume, because one of the things that our young people are really, really, really suffering with is managing each teacher's expectations. And, and because they are product-based and not learning-based, then it becomes unmanageable. And I feel like we're really lear- teaching them how to grind in a way that is unhealthy. Yeah. And, and, and all of it is about work and not necessarily about self-actualization. Mm. Ooh, I love that. Shannon? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in. I think it's it, I, just a, what Cynthia said. You need to find find other people, like-minded people. And I know, you know, Jeff, you already mentioned, you know, Twitter. But I'm telling you, 
any social media where you can find a group of educators, you where you feel together, you can, it's awfully lonely. And then when you realize that there are hundreds of other educators all on the same journey, you know, you can give each other virtual hug tweets, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's a really beautiful thing. This is how a uh, group of educators and I started the assessment consortium of BC. We kind of found each other and, and, and man, you're able to, to troubleshoot and figure out, you know, what to do and, and, and you, you don't know, feel crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not the, I'm yeah. not the, okay. Yeah. Other people think what I'm thinking. I'm not right. the crazy right. one. Right. And, yeah. and, 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 and keep reading, keep immersing yeah. yourself. There's so much uh, free accessible so, um, resources out there there. I mean, I just like just this evening, I watched, uh, you know, Ken O'Connor did a free uh, webinar uh, post pandemic kind of, or not post pandemic, but uh, uh, grading for, you know, 15 fixes for broken grades, something of that sort. And there's so many, you know, podcasts, Tom Shimmer, um, Teachers Going Gradeless, Aaron Blackwelder, right? All those folks. I mean, there's so many uh, free resources yeah. and, and that will help kind of take, help you inhale and exhale through Ooh, the I like journey. That. I like that. Melissa? Um, one of the things that I would, that would also say is that it's okay to be the lone voice crying in the wilderness. Mm. Um, and that if you're feeling that way, um, one of the most powerful books I have read as that's a, not an, an education book, but that has really encouraged me on my standing alone in, in, in this world of assessment is Brene Brown's Brave in the Wilderness. Um, and just this, the courage that it takes to be vulnerable and to be okay with standing up and and being that lone person, because there are going to be times when you are going to be that lone person and you're going to feel, you're going to look around and kind of go, I, I know this happens to me all the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I doing it wrong? Like, yeah. what is, what, I must be doing something wrong. How am I here? Why is nobody else here with me? Yeah. And being okay with that, because you know, it's what is best for your learners. Yeah. That is a, that's a, that's a thing I think a lot of us need to learn. Uh, I'm certainly still learning it, still learning it every single day when I walk into my school building. Um, mm. But I would really recommend that as, as, as reading just in general. Um, but especially if you're, or as you are embarking on a journey where you recognize you might be one of the, the leaders, you're leading the way perhaps for some of your colleagues um, and the courage it takes to be that vulnerable to do so, that's, it's not a bad place or a bad mm. thing to be the only one. I love that. That's a great, that's a great reminder. One of the things I've been saying a lot lately, and I think it fits with this is, you know, they call it the teaching practice. There's no such thing as mastering this thing. <laughs> you know, it is, it's the teaching practice, you know, and doctors have practices. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but when you think about this, right? Like you are a life, like education's a lifelong learning and we're all practicing at it. And, you know, when you're getting going in this, I, we talk a lot and we've talked a lot today on the podcast about failure leads to success. It's not a straight line when you're, you know, when you're changing your assessment practices, there's a lot of failure that like, Oh, that didn't work. 
or these, you know, I got myself in a pickle with a rubric and it's just not giving me the, the outcomes that I thought it was going to give me the information I thought it was. And that's okay. Right. That's all part of the learning process as well. And that's why it's called the teaching practice. Tyler. Yeah. I would say if, if you're in that boat and uh, I found myself in that boat a number of times in my career, uh, I, I would echo everything people have said, right? Reach out, be, if you can connect with some people, um, because the reality is you're going to need a shoulder at some point, right? The, this assessment journey is not a linear thing. That's always great and moving in, you know, in a positive direction. There are times where it will backfire and you'll feel like you're struggling and it feels messy. And so I would echo the the colleagues, but I found a lot of uh, one of the most important things is being open with my kids in my classroom um, for two reasons. One, if you're the lone wolf, sharing why you're doing what you're doing with kids is a really good way to spread the message to other classrooms. Um, <laughs> right? You have to be careful how you do it, but it is a really good way to do it. But I've also found, I mean, there have been so many times, even still, I'll try something different and it's not going well. And already having that open communication with my students where they understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, like they've they've been the, the group that's been like, it's okay, mister. Like, we know you're working on it. This isn't going well, but here's what we're thinking. Like some of my greatest, like some of my best ideas for assessment in my classroom have come from kids being like, yeah, that's not going well. Let's try this <laughs> instead. And I'm like, all right, let's give it a shot. And it works. So be open with your kids, like let them know what you're doing and why, and they'll have your back. Oh, I love that. Don't hide the assessment from the kids. Let them, let them know. And, and again, I think you're showing them like I take risks too. And not all my risks, not all my risks pan out either. So that's awesome. Well, thank you, uh, panel. This has been fantastic. Cynthia, Shannon, Melissa, Tyler, thank you for giving up an hour of your time uh, to sit here and talk assessment. We will make sure that all the links to everybody's blogs and Twitters and books are in the show notes. So make sure you click on the show notes uh, when you are listening to this, or you can head over to sospodcast.org or shiftingschools.com. You can also give up the show notes there as well. Uh, we did talk about some of the free resources. Tyler has done two free webinars for us. You can find those over at shiftingschools.com. And Tyler also has a Making Assessments Meaningful, Grading with the Student in Mind. It's six asynchronous sessions. You do them at your own pace. Uh, you can you can purchase those over at shiftingschools.com. Uh, you can just do them at your own pace. You can listen to Tyler again and again and again. It's the love using technology to do this. Uh, and, then, and then have some uh, sessions with him as well, face-to-face. So there's all kinds of ways that are out there, both you can pay for and that are free. Uh, find the Facebook groups, uh, find, your, find your community on Twitter. And we'll make sure again, all of that is in the show notes as well. Uh, there are people out there doing it and we need to be doing this. It is what's best for kids and it is the future of education. So thank you all for being here tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks, until Jeff. next time. Thank we'll you. See you on the network. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Tyler. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.